This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Mississippi native Alex Littlejohn is the state director at the Nature Conservancy, and he always works to better Mississippi's outdoors. Now with appointments to the North American Wetlands Conservation Council and the Neotropical Migratory Bird Conservation Act Advisory Group, he joins the show to talk about his new positions and how it can benefit Mississippi. Also, we're ready to answer any pet questions that you have and hear about your latest encounters with nature. Join our conversation this morning. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. A reminder that if you ever miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning, everyone. Let's start with Libby. Libby, what are you seeing in and about your area this morning? Oh, okay. I was on the coast all day yesterday um, uh, in a boat out on the um, a bay uh, on the Alsea River, which is a just absolutely gorgeous place, uh, seeing bald eagles and... Um, Pigeon guillemots are little um, fantastic little ocean birds that live along the coast of Alaska and Canada and on down uh, California. And uh, we saw lots of them yesterday. And, uh, of course, I had two little children with the uh, six-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. And uh, they got good looks at them. And we watched the western gulls and seals and caught a lot of crabs and they got to see the bycatch and uh, it was just a, a wonderful day out here. So uh, how long are you uh, going to be out in the west coast? Uh, we'll be coming home probably that first week of October so I've got another another month at least to enjoy things out here. Hopefully by, by the time you get back it won't be nearly as hot here although I will say the rain we've been having recently has certainly cooled off temperatures somewhat so uh, enjoy your time out there. We certainly enjoy getting a, a snapshot of uh, nature from another part of the country. So we appreciate your your uh, coming in with us each week and, and kind of giving us that update. Oh, and I want to mention one thing because this I regret so much that I'm missing. It's a field trip on August the 20th. Um, let's see, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, that's a Saturday. So Saturday after next, right? It's St. Catharines Creek National Wildlife Refuge. They're close to Natchez in the Natchez area. And Mary Stevens and her husband, Bill, who have um, birded that area a lot, they know it very well. They're leading a trip on the 20th. And uh, you can go online and look at Jackson Audubon Field Trips and uh, sign up to go with them, meet them down there. I, I really regret that I won't be able to do that this year because that's a wonderful trip. And uh, you'll see roseate spoonbills and just lots of fantastic birds. Gosh, thousands of cormorants are usually there. We saw cormorants yesterday on the coast to here. They're quite a widespread bird. And uh, let's see, you'll see wood storks and um, lots and lots of um, all kinds of wading birds, egrets and uh, ibis. All kinds of things. Those tricolored herons that I don't get to see very often. I hate that I'm going to miss that. But anyway, just wanted to, to share that with listeners. All right. 
Uh, Dr. Majors with us uh, on the line from his clinic. Uh, Dr. Majors, still summertime, as I mentioned. Temperatures not as high as they have been because it seems like we've been getting a lot of rain. So uh, that uh, leads maybe to increased mosquito populations, and we talk a lot about flea and tick prevention in our pets. Um, How much do mosquitoes bother our pets? How much of a danger are they to our dogs and cats? Well, you know, the mosquitoes are, what shall I say, ubiquitous, and plenty of them. I don't think they've really slacked off all summer. But uh, when the humidity is so high and there are plenty of little pools of water, it only takes a few days for the uh, immature mosquito to develop into an adult. And yes, they do. They do bother our animals just like they bother us. And of course, we're all aware or should be aware that they spread heartworm disease. They spread the uh, microscopic microfilaria uh, from an infected dog to dogs that are not infected or back to the same dog. So yes, and there are other diseases that they can spread as uh, as you know. So yes, it's very important. And I always emphasize emptying out containers of uh, things that would catch water. Uh, that helps. But there are little standing pools just about everywhere right now because of the rain. Yeah, that's right. And, and you're right. That's about the only thing, the best way that we can try to control that mosquito population, as you said, maybe after a, a heavy rain, go out in your backyard or whatever and make sure they have no, uh, maybe, you know, something that's collected a little bit of water, try to drain those. But as you said, sometimes it rains so much, there's just these little pockets of water maybe on the ground. So so is there anything, any kind of preventative that you we can give our pets that would help against mosquitoes? Well, certainly there are, are some of the uh, topical medications that will repel mosquitoes, uh, which is great. You can talk to your veterinarian about that. The very difficult thing is you don't want to put something on your pet that's going to harm the pet trying to repel mosquitoes. And it goes without saying that all of our dogs and cats certainly can have heartworms, and those are spread by mosquitoes, so they need to be on some type of preventive, especially the outside cats. Now, outside cats get a condition where the mosquitoes will attack around their face, And there are some cats that have a severe reaction from that. We've talked about this before, but uh, maybe a reminder here on do we need on furrier dogs and cats to do any kind of grooming uh, in the summertime? And is there any sort of sign that the pets might be in need of a good grooming? You know, that's always a question that comes up. And one of the things about the grooming, uh, we see a lot of the um, poodle crosses, whether it's a yellow, uh, yellow doodle or any labradoodle, they have some woolly-type hair. These dogs need to be groomed as well as any, any other dog, and usually it does require removing some of that hair. You don't like to see them down to the skin, but they do need to be groomed professionally a lot of times. As far as some of the breeds, we see more what we call hot spots or moist eczema this time of the year, and usually it has a flea-related component, but not necessarily, and you see some pretty bad sores or this sort of thing where the dog is either scratching or chewing at these. We call them commonly hot spots, but it's moist eczema, and it can be quite painful depending on where those places are. Is it safe to assume that most of uh, our pets sort of by shedding and that sort of thing will kind of regulate their body temperature fairly well throughout most of the year? Most of our pets will, but remember that heat exhaustion and heat stroke can occur. And one of the reasons that we see as much as we do is because of this high humidity. It is very, uh, and especially in the larger breeds or the overweight breeds, certainly this can cause them to have some respiratory problems and 
the heat exhaustion or heat stroke. So you've got to be careful. Make sure that our animals have adequate water, a constant source of water, and uh, access to shade if they're outside. All right. Don't forget, Dr. Major will hang on the phone ready for your pet questions. Libby on the line from Oregon always likes to hear your recent encounters with nature. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. We will be visiting today with uh, Alex Littlejohn. He's currently the state director in Mississippi for the Nature Conservancy and was recently appointed to the member of the North American Wetlands Conservation Council and the Neotropical Migratory Bird Conservation Act Advisory Group. So, Alex, thanks for being with us today. If you would, let's go back and talk about uh, growing up in North Mississippi. How did you get interested in the outdoors? Well, good morning, and I appreciate you having me. You know, growing up, just a kid from North Mississippi, I, you know, my dad was spent a lot of time outdoors, and that's just what we did as a family. Uh, but one of the more funny stories I tell about it is, you know, I frankly got tired of getting left at the house <laughs> when, my dad, when my dad would go off. And uh, we spend the weekend, um, or spend Friday and Saturday, we went to church on Sunday, hunting and fishing with his friends. And, and I just finally got up the nerve to sneak out into the Jeep one morning and hunkered down in the back back seat with the dog. And I surprised him about 30 minutes headed toward Batesville. And the rest is history. It's, it's really, really quite simple. But, um, you know, we did everything from we, we grabbled catfish in Sardis Lake. We, we chased ducks in the Delta and, and we deer hunted and we fished and we just spent time out outdoors as a family. It was just something just came natural to us. So you studied uh, wildlife and forestry management at Mississippi State University. How does that prepare you for some of the work that you're doing now? Well, as you as you can imagine, being a kid from Oxford and uh, going to Mississippi State presents some some challenges, both with the people there in Starkville not liking that I was from Ole Miss country, <laughs> and the people from Oxford not liking that I went to Bulldog country. But I will tell you, I cannot speak at length enough to how much I enjoyed my time at Mississippi State and really just the, the foundational piece of, of my education and the experiences I gained both from the professors there at Mississippi State but as well as um, I spent some time as an intern with the Corps of Engineers uh, with a great crew up on Sardis and Arthur Butler and Eden and Grenada Lakes and worked with a wildlife biologist and foresters there so I was getting some some real experience in tandem with going to school and, and I found that to be probably the, the smartest thing that I ever did. And, and I, I give credit to, uh, not to myself, but some people that pushed me along the way to do that. So the education experience and, and expertise that I had worked very well with the hands-on work I was getting and experiences I was getting with the core too. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and today we're visiting with Alex Littlejohn. He's currently the state director in Mississippi for the Nature Conservancy. He's been appointed to a couple of other uh, groups that we'll talk about in just a minute. So, Alex, let's start with the North American Wetlands Conservations Act. If you would, tell us what that's about. Sure. In, um, in 1989, President H.W. Bush had calls for me. Think about that. He passed and signed into law that particular piece of legislation. And essentially what it does is it says, look, we're every year we're going to allocate a set amount of funds um, across the U.S., also in Canada and some in Mexico. And our, our main pursuit is making sure that we're protecting, restoring, and conserving wetland habitats. And obviously those habitats help a number of species across those landscapes. And since 1989, I think they've, they've given out roughly um, $2 billion, and they've leveraged an additional $4 billion. So since 89, they've had about a $6 billion impact that has 
conserved or restored about 31 million acres across those uh, across Canada, U.S. and Mexico. So, in a nutshell, that's that's what NALCA and that's what North American Wetland Council oversees, and that's what the Act does. So, as a member of the of the council, you'll oversee. Do they decide where the funds go as well? Yes, that's that's correct. So it, everything is housed inside the Department of Interior, which is uh, where the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is, is housed as well. And it's in direct relationship with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And every year there are two grant cycles. There's what they call a large grant cycle, and that, that's for, you know, a million dollars or let, you know, up to a million dollars can, can be applied for there. And then there's a smaller grant cycle. And I believe that cap is around a hundred thousand or a two hundred thousand dollar application for the smaller grants. But those once those applications come in, it's the it's the NALCA council and their staff that really kind of just go through the process of filtering through those applications and ranking them and then in ranking them, you know, then they're they're sent to the council for approval to move forward for for funding, and so that's kind of how the process works. Uh, before we move on to the Neotropical Migratory Bird Conservation Act, with uh, NAQA, uh, Mississippi's received 19 grants in the past. If you would give us an example, of what sort of work has been done through the grants here in Mississippi? Sure, a lot of those grants have been focused either in the Mississippi Delta along the Lower Mississippi River, or down on the Pascagoula. And in the Delta, they've gone for wetland enhancements on existing public property. So, if you know, like a Theodore Roosevelt uh, National Wildlife Refuge needed some infrastructure to help improve the management of the habitat and wetland systems, the NALCA, um, the NALCA funds were applied that way. Uh, or if you go down to the Pascagoula, uh, a lot of the work on the Pascagoula has been through acquiring properties and making them publicly available. So that, in a nutshell, is where a vast majority of our NALCA work, our, our North American Wetland Council dollars, have gone in the state. But I would think that work like that has a sort of a tangential economic benefit because if we can preserve our natural resources that we have here in Mississippi, people like to come visit these areas. And so that's important and it helps out maybe the state's economy. Absolutely. You know, outdoor recreation is, is um, kind of the silent economy in Mississippi. And, and we are a sought-after state due to our vast natural resources when it comes to outdoor recreation. So Absolutely, to your point, these investments from North American Wetland Council dollars in these areas are having benefits beyond just the habitat. You know, they're they're having economic benefits from those visiting and staying at our uh, our hotels and eating at our restaurants and you know buying products in our shops and um, just the pursuit of the outdoors in general and what that costs. But we're reaping the benefits from a tax perspective um, on those sales, and you know I, I think that it's one of the greatest greatest things we overlook when we talk about conservation is, is the economic impacts of these investments. We're going to be visiting with our guest Alex Littlejohn throughout the hour on Creature Comforts. We do have a caller on the line, so let's say good morning to our friend Sue from Beaumont. Go ahead, Sue. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Can you all hear me? I'm having phone trouble. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, I want to ask, are, are you trying to save endangered plants too? Like I call them jack in the pulpits. I don't remember what we used to call them, but they're, they're plants that grow in boggy places down around the coast. And a man here in Perry County has a pasture that has some growing in there. They, they, they have a flap over the top and the insects go down in there. And that's, that's how they eat. Are you trying to save those plants too? I mean, any endangered plant. Yeah, to, to that question, Ms. Sue, is, is wetland systems across Mississippi do benefit from, from NALCA, and they, they are taken into consideration when the applications are processed. I, I hope that answers your question, but I, I believe I can tell you yes. 
Well, thank you. Thanks, Sue. Always good to hear from you. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with our guest, Alex Littlejohn. So, Alex, the next uh, group that you're associated with or recently, I guess, uh, added to the Neotropical Migratory Bird Conservation Advisory Group. uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's a mouthful, by the way. The Neotropical (laughs) Migratory Bird Conservation Act. If you would tell us a little bit about that. It's almost just exactly the same as what we described as the North American Wetland Council Act. They, they issue funds that are looking more at the neotropical migrants. Um, much of what uh, you heard Libby describe out there on the Oregon coast and, and some of what uh, the, the upcoming field trip down at St. Catherine's Creek, she mentioned, some of those uh, species are grouped inside of what they call neotropical migrants. And so the grants are aimed at those particular species, and, and it's just like NALCA. They grant out funds to do good work that supports the habitat that those species rely on. And the good thing, too, I would think with both of these groups, the work that they do benefits the the creatures that they're sort of, you know, of, 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 of both of them. So the work that the Wetlands Conservation Act do might help those migratory birds as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they go they go hand in hand with one another. It's like um, two peas in a pod, if you will, but you're exactly right. Got another caller on the line. Now we'll say good morning to Dorothy from Meridian. Dorothy, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes, I wanted to ask the vet uh, about the no-scoop pills that you would give to dogs to keep them, you know, from having that anal gland problem. I have two dogs, and I've been giving them those pills for three months, and they're still scooting, not as much. So is, do, they, do they really work or what? <laughs> Well, as I understand the question, it has to do with the dog's anal glands and that they're yeah. scooting. She indicated she was given some sort of pill to help with the anal glands. They, it is recommended to give some fiber, an increased amount of fiber, whether it's uh, Metamucil or pumpkin. Some people give pumpkin, canned pumpkin. Um, a lot of the dogs have to have those anal glands expressed, I would say, no more than once a month, maybe every six weeks. But... Uh, they get irritated and they will scoot. Um, and some of the dogs actually look like they really enjoy it when they're scooting, whether it's on the concrete or on your carpet. So I don't know that I've answered a question. I'm not sure what kind of pills she was using, but if she can call back, she could tell us. And uh, I would suggest so that the anal glands actually need to be expressed either by her or professionally by a vet or a tech. All right, uh, Dorothy, thanks for your call. Um, if the, Let's uh, see if we can put her back on hold and maybe we can get the information to know exactly what sort of pill, because you mentioned it, but I didn't quite hear it uh, either. So, uh, Dorothy, we'll keep you on the line there and, and get some information to you, too, Dr. Major, if we can throughout the rest of the program. We'll continue taking your pet questions, and we're visiting today with our guest, Alex Littlejohn, currently the state director in Mississippi for the Nature Conservancy and recently appointed member of the North American Wetlands Conservation Council, and the Neotropical Migratory Bird Conservation Act Advisory Group. So, Alex, what is the selection process for these advisory groups? How are you able to, to join both of these? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a council we've um, for quite a number of years, since 89, and we've done it with our partners from Ducks Unlimited and uh, Pheasants Forever, Conservation Fund, Land Trust Alliance, and the list goes on. So, the, the nice thing about it is it, it spans the it spans the U.S. in terms of the different groups that are out there. But you know, there's vacancies that come up from time to time. We had recently been on the council back in '19, and um, you know, through COVID, just just kind of lost our place and just kind of got lost in the in transition. And 
we got we were asked to join again and or at least wanted to put our name back in the hat and and luckily we're chosen to get back on the council so we're we're excited to be back and, and excited to be back amongst the crowd. And as you mentioned, with uh, with NACWA, that this is not, I mean, we're benefiting here in Mississippi, but as you mentioned, this is programs that are taking place across the, the United States and Canada, I think you said. That's correct. Every state in, in uh, the U.S. has been a recipient. And um, also there's, there's projects in Canada that are supported as well as projects down in Mexico supported because these, these species, you know, they're, they're, they're migratory, so uh, the habitats are necessary across those across those landscapes I just described. I want to talk with your work about the Nature Conservancy, but we do have another caller to get to first, and so we say good morning this time to Kathleen, who's called in from Osaka. Kathleen, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Well, I'm, I've got a real high-tech professional on there, don't we? Um, I was trying to explain something. I'm going to whistle. This is a person. These are one of those things you either make a fool out of yourself or somebody understands you. It goes... And I don't know what it is, uh, but it actually follows me. I'll have the windows open, don't hear it outside. The minute I walk outside, he's whistling or she's whistling to me. And by the way, do females and males uh, whistle or something... But she'll talk to me all day. And my girlfriend didn't believe me. I made her come over here. And we walked up the, the, the road and up. And do you know he followed us in the trees? I mean, you could hear it was him. And I can't say I can identify his whistle, but sounded a little familiar, you know? So have you been able to see the bird? No. He hides just far enough away or in some leaves. I, I think he's brownish. But that's all I got. Libby, are you right off the top of your head familiar with any kind of birds that have that sort of a whistle? All right. And I, I, I don't want to venture a guess as to what that could be because it could be so many things. But I will tell you that um, the, the males are generally the birds that do the singing, but they have... All species, or most species of birds, have calls as well, and so they communicate with each other, the male and female. So that could be a female or a male, and the reason you're hearing it in that same area may be because they have a nest right there. You know, this is the time of year when birds are nesting or finishing up nesting and fledging babies, so they can start thinking about flying away, possibly. But you... If you go into that same place, um, I would say go down there with some binoculars and maybe even a lawn chair and look around for a while and uh, see what you can find. It's possible that you'll find a nest or at least find one of the birds calling, but it could be a male or a female. Yeah, because he's been doing that almost a year now, and I, he hadn't or she hadn't stopped. Not just during nesting season. So that sounds like then that's one of your year-round resident birds. So you really do need to get a look at it. Uh, The other thing I would suggest, too, is doesn't Cornell um, have something online that identifies? uh, So maybe if she went there maybe typed in brown birds and and then went to try Mm -hmm. to hear the sounds. Yeah. Or even if you, um, I don't know, how much you use a a smartphone, but if you download a Merlin app, M-E-R-L-I-N, 
from the Cornell Laboratory of Birds, it actually has a sound identification um, portion to it. So you can um, just basically turn on the app. It's not too hard to learn how to use it either. Uh, turn on the app and hit the sound ID button and hold the phone up and let it, you know, just let your phone listen for a little while to uh, to that, that particular song, and it will give you an idea of what bird it might be. So, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. not 100% ID, but, yeah, that works. Or, again, if you, um, you know, use any of your apps and see a bird, you can ID it from the site. It's good to have sound and sight on a bird if you can. At least get a little bit of a glimpse of the of the bird so you get an idea of what it looks like as well as what it sounds like. So that's Merlin, M-E-R-L-I-N? M-E-R-L-I-N, All yeah. Right. Yeah, Kathleen, that might be good if, if, you know, if you don't have a smartphone, maybe a friend of yours does, and that would be a way to identify them. And my thought would be even if you misidentify it, if, if no one else knows, if you think it's whatever bird and it's mm -hmm. not, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world. So oh, yes. As long yeah. as you're enjoying having the bird serenade you, that's the important thing, I think. So, Kathleen... Yeah. Thanks for your call. Always good to hear from you. Let's get another caller on the line. Uh, Hayes is joining us on the road. Good morning, Hayes. You're on the air with us. Hey, how you doing? Good. What I'm, do you all, I'm calling the, the supervisors in Mississippi have wiped out the wild plums that used to be along the side of the highways. Uh, the last wild plum grove I saw was about two years ago down in uh, southern Jefferson County. I haven't been back to check on it, but that's the last grove of wild plums that I've seen in years. And uh, I was wondering if anything is being done to get the wild plum reestablished in Mississippi. I really miss them. And you can certainly find wild plums in other places, but they were very convenient. I've heard other people complain about this along the highway. They were certainly convenient, and you knew where they were along the highway. You'll have to do some searching and find you a, a stand of wild plums away from the highway, I would think. All right. Uh, uh, Alex, did you have a do you have a comment too, Alex? I couldn't tell. No, I think you hit Mark right there, Libby. Um, Alex, in, in a more general sense, if someone sees something that maybe is related to the environment that they see a problem with or would like someone to work on or whatever, what can the average citizen do to kind of maybe make a difference or get some interest uh, ginned up? Well, there's a, there's a number of organizations, much like ourselves, um, Nature Conservancy, but others across the state, as well as your Department of Wildlife, Fishery, and Parks, um, Department of Environmental Quality. You can call any one of those resources, us included reach out to them to kind of figure out which, you know, what steps you need to take or if you want some information to gain some information from either the, any of those sources. But it just depends on where you're at in the state. But there's a get your state agencies as well as your federal agencies and then your nonprofit private groups like us. So any one of those groups can be a wealth of resources for any question you may have on, on any of those issues that we just discussed. So if you would tell us about the Nature Conservancy and the work that they do. Well, we've, We've been in Mississippi for, you know, since about 1976. Uh, we've conserved about 200,000 acres across the state, and um, we work everywhere from South Haven to down to Gulfport and Meridian to, to, to Greenville, um, and we work 
mainly to conserve and restore habitats. You know, our, our, our whole mission statement is to conserve and um, restore the, uh, the land on, land and waters on which all life depends. And so we try to do it in places like the Pascagoula, where our work began, and we, we continue to work in the Pascagoula. We actually just purchased some acreage down there in the last few months, and our footprint has been quite large in that part of the world. And since the early days of that work, you know, the Pascagoula still remains the largest undammed river in the U.S. A lot of people don't know that. It's really a crown jewel, um, not only in Mississippi, the southeast, but also the U.S. Um, some of our work is, is now publicly accessible through WMAs and National Wildlife Refuges. I think in our land acquisition uh, efforts, we've, I think we've started or, or helped open up um, 15 National Wildlife Refuges and Wildlife Management Areas combined, a lot of which is enjoyed by the public through outdoor recreation and probably don't know that we help participate in that. And that's something we try to highlight from time to time just to make sure people know what we do. But, you know, our, our work spans across the U.S. and 76 countries around the world. Um, I was speaking down at the Capitol the other day with Secretary of State's office. They do a great, um, have a great program with upcoming seniors and who are looking at you know different job opportunities, and I, I shared with them. You know we've we've been a we've been an organization for 75 years, and we've impacted about 121 million acres of, around the world. But a lot of people don't know we're one of the largest private landowners in the U.S. We we own and manage or have easements on about five to six million acres, and so a lot of the experience we've gained as a private landowner. It helps drive, you know, our thoughts and our priorities on policy or work on the ground or helping, you know, our adjacent private landowners if they've got questions or thoughts or interest in conservation or sustainable practices on their properties. We we come at it from a set of experiences that, you know, we're, we're, we get our hands dirty and, you know, our boots get muddy too because we're, we're landowners as well. So, we're, we're you know, we're a land-based conservation group and, and I'm proud to work for them. You know, we've talked about the Nature Conservancy in the in the years that I've been the host of this show, and that's the one thing that I think that I really appreciate is, as you said, you've got stake in the game. You are the, the group owns land in Mississippi, so it's important to the the folks at the Nature Conservancy, just as is important to any of the other private landowners that you might work with throughout the state. That, that's correct. You know, you know, we got skin in the game, and um, sometimes policies and, and approaches look good on paper and and really don't work. And, <laughs> And so we can speak to that because we've got experience doing it. And I think it just gives us a level of credibility that you don't get otherwise uh, when you're not a landowner out there in the game and, and, and actually doing land management on your property when, when your surrounding private landowners are interested. And, and look, some, that's some of the funnest work that we have, some of the most inter work, interesting work that we have out there across the U.S. So when it comes to conservation, I'm not sure maybe that some people don't really kind of really understand the impact that it has. So if you could speak to maybe the types of wildlife uh, 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 creatures and sorts of things that benefit from some of the programs and the work that, that conservationists do. Sure. I mean, it's, you know, conservation, as Libby will tell you, and she's she's as much of a wealth of knowledge on this as anybody is, you know, it's got additional benefits as well, aside from the wildlife species. But the wildlife species, you know, it, it spans the gamut of white-tailed white deer to, to uh, wild turkeys to bobwhite quail to waterfowl, you name it, squirrels, small games, rabbits, and, and, and all your um, terrestrial animals and 
trying to think of what the right term is here. Your 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 herps and your species there that you're that are not game species, but then you've got your whole um, fish species as well across the, across the gamut from freshwater to saltwater that benefit from conservation. And, and the way they're doing that is that conservation really enhances the watershed, which improves water quality. And so, if you're improving your water quality, leaving the watershed um, through sound practices on the ground. You know, the way I like to describe it is, you know, upstream conservation on the land benefits downstream habitat. So it, the, the species are in terms of there's not a there's not a wildlife species out there in the state or across the U.S. that doesn't benefit from conservation. Um, and and so we try to aim to have the largest impact we can with the dollars that we get in the door from private donors. And we try to leverage them so that we can really um again, have the largest impact we can on the ground for as many species as we can. And as uh, Sue referenced earlier, as you work to improve the habitat, it also not only benefits the animals that live there, but also uh, the, the native plants that we find uh, in Mississippi in these areas as well. So uh, we've got another caller on the line. It's uh, Rachel has called in from Eupora. Good morning, Rachel. Always good to hear from you. Go ahead. Thank you. It's good to talk to you all. So I know it's the Department of Transportation who every uh, year mows down the beautiful wildflowers along the roadside. And um, the first thing that uh, comes to mind is that butterflies need those plants to use for host plants uh, to proliferate. And uh, I, I know that in Texas, for instance, they work hard to keep their wildflowers along the uh, roadways, and I just wonder, is there any way you could uh, work with the Department of Transportation to stop cutting these uh, flowers down? Yes, and you know, a lot of garden clubs around the state have been successful, or several um, groups of people, particularly garden clubs, have been successful working with the Department of Transportation. If they know that you care, they will work with you to some extent. Now, they do, you know, they feel like it's a safety issue. They've got to mow those roadways. And once they get a contract with the company and they've set their their parameters for mowing, uh, you may have to wait till the next contract period. But I would say contact your um your transportation commissioner, whoever in, is for your part of the state, and, uh-huh. you know, let them know how you feel about it. And um, they may have not heard from anybody or they may have heard from other citizens, and your voice will just add to the chorus. Uh-huh. You know, okay. they can select the times that they mow to to do better. But, and uh-huh. yes, butterflies are a common reason why people do complain about the mowing, particularly uh-huh. for monarchs, because, um, you know, the, the type of habitat that you find along the edge of the road is the type of habitat that milkweed do well in, and milkweed is what the monarchs have got to have to have a successful year. So, yes, you certainly can make a difference, and if you want to... Um, uh, you know, get together with some friends and uh, talk to your your highway commissioner in that way. That will make a difference, too. 
All right, uh, Rachel, thanks for the call. And I would say, yeah, if there's a garden club in your area, that might be a cause that they would like to pick up on. But uh, I guess the, the, the bottom line is uh, one person really can make a difference, and the idea is to kind of get your concerns to the people uh, who need to know. And Libby had a great uh, suggestion there by contacting your, your transportation commissioner. They're elected officials, and it's their job to listen to you as well as listen to um, you know, anybody else in the state. Today we're talking with Alex Littlejohn about the conservation work he's doing with the Nature Conservancy, among other groups. If you missed any of today's program, you can always subscribe to the podcast using any podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. Then you can listen to all the Think Radio programs, uh, the local ones, on your schedule. So, Alex, in, in general, how would you describe the situation for wildlife in Mississippi? Is, are, 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 is it turning in the right direction in terms of habitat and that sort of thing? Well, I think, you know, I think we're blessed with a, with a abundance of riches here. You know, I was, I tell people all the time, you know, you can, very few places can you go and experience smallmouth fishing in, in Iuka and, and the Corinth area up around Pickwick and travel down through the, you know, the Black Belt region and, you know, you can enjoy some um, whitetail or turkey hunting or uh, upland hunting as well, but also be catching reds and trout on the Mississippi coast out of the Gulf and, and all in the same day if you really wanted to or in the same two days or stretch out a week. It's just we're just blessed with an abundance of riches when it comes to wildlife uh, species and um, natural landscapes. But in terms of wildlife populations, I mean, I think they're always in a state of flux, but I think we're in a strong place thanks to our Department of Wildlife, Fishery, and Parks, and the great work that that group does. And in fact, you know, it's one of the biggest reasons why we we really pushed to um, to pushed and gotten behind in support of the Mississippi Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund that was uh, passed this past session and signed into law by Governor Reeves and had the support of the House and the Senate. And you know, that's that's something we need in terms of our ability to leverage federal monies that are out there to also help support and enhance the habitat we have to so that we continue to have an abundance of, of riches when it comes to wildlife habitat and wildlife species so you know it's I, I think we're in a strong place i think we're in a much stronger place than we see across the board in some other states but um i think we ought to we, we should take our wildlife for granted and you know i think i think mississippi better than any place um, understands the impact and has a direct tie and, and is deeply rooted in the conservation of our natural resources, probably more so than many people believe they are. We have uh, one last caller on the line today, so it is Tom from Hattiesburg. Good morning, Tom. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Uh, somebody had called in just a little bit ago about the wild plums. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I, I saved some from, from a, 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 a highway out here on Elvin Gandy that was being built, and I put them in our in a pool garden, and then things come up like wild. I mean, I have to pull them up every year, and I'm giving away to as many people as I can, and I suggest other people, if they see one or something, to do that too because they are uh, very beneficial uh, trees. And uh, and they give you some fruit. And, uh, but uh, also, on the, uh, the other note that I'm making, I'm sorry, the, on the, uh, the milkweed. Uh, you get the seeds from Seed Saver, and uh, they they are very beneficial. It takes time to start them indoors and uh, put them out. They uh, they come up slow, but, but uh, they when they do, they come up next year. 
All right, uh, Tom, thanks for the call. Uh, Alex, Thank you, Tom. Yeah, great comments. Yeah. Uh, Alex, as we wrap up, uh, when someone wants, if someone wants to learn more about the work of the Nature Conservancy, where would you point them? Yeah, I think I'd point them straight to our website, uh, nature.org backslash Mississippi. Um, if they're interested in, in our work, interested in making a donation, um, they can get all the information from there, even our contact information for our offices. So that would probably be the best place, nature.org backslash Mississippi. And is it a membership organization where someone can join the Conservancy? Absolutely. Uh, there's a membership tab there that you can join up and become a member on our uh, through our website. But absolutely, we, we um, have enjoyed a great membership base both here in Mississippi and across the U.S. All right, Alex, got a minute left. I'm going to put you on the spot here at the end of the show. <laughs> what is your, <laughs> Go ahead, what's your favorite part of the great outdoors? It's going to be hard to um, compare to a, to a mallard, a greenhead mallard duck flying through the cypress in the Mississippi Delta for me. That is, that is the sight that hooked me. It's the sight that keeps me coming back. It's the sight that just paints the Mississippi Delta in my mind and my experiences as a child growing up. It's a, it's a green head coming through the cypress. All right, very good. Just to remind you, the um, app that um, Libby mentioned earlier in the show, Merlin, M-E-R-L-I-N, if you get that and you want to help identify some birds, it uh, has a thing where you can record the sounds that you're hearing uh, and also will give you a little visual help as well, sort of like a Spotify for the natural community. So uh, that's uh, something that I think would be fun to uh, download on your phone. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. Our call screener today was Charles Arnold. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the day, Alex Littlejohn, I'm Kevin Farrell, and we'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can... Please contribute today at mpbonline.org.